I invite you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the Gospel of John in chapter 16. John's Gospel in chapter 16. No doubt, you've all heard of the term oxymoron. Heard that term, oxymoron? It's derived from two Greek words, sharp and dull. So you see, even the term oxymoron is an oxymoron. For the term itself is an expression in which two obvious contradictory terms are put together to form a saying or a figure of speech. Now, you know of some examples. I remember when I was in the Air Force some years ago, we used to call military intelligence an oxymoron because those things just don't seem to go together sometime. Today, we might say government intelligence, but uh, that's what we used as an oxymoron. We say such things as bittersweet. It's an oxymoron. We speak of jumbo shrimp. It's an oxymoron. We use such phrases as freezer burn or friendly takeover. How about minor miracle? Or even what Charlie Brown used to say, good grief. It's not good. All of these are awfully good examples of oxymorons. Did you get it? Awfully good examples. Awfully good examples. Some of you will get that tomorrow. (laughs) There is a serious theological problem in our day that deals with this problem of oxymoronic behavior in churches. We have a number of churches who refuse to preach God's Word. They may mention a verse here and there. They may say that Jesus loves you, or that you need to be good for Jesus, or even come to Jesus. But they never preach against sin. They never preach about the wrath of God, or the judgment of God against sin. In fact, they refuse to do so, never using the word hell even. Case in point, here's what the pastor of the largest church in the United States says, quote, There's enough pushing people down in life today. When they come to my church or our meetings, I want them to be lifted up. I want them to know that God is good. He also says, God is on your side. He openly admits that he will not talk about anything, in his opinion, negative. He will not mention sin or hell, and especially God's wrath or judgment upon unbelievers at the end of time. Now here's the oxymoronic part. Our church is growing 
Our church is blessed of God. And people are coming in leaps and bounds and being saved. It is an oxymoron to be a church and say you will not preach God's Word and yet people are being saved. What are they being saved by? What are they being saved from? It is impossible. And I tell you the truth, it is smoke and mirrors and a lie. Because churches that do not preach God's Word, no matter how large, are not growing by the Holy Spirit and the power of God. It is an oxymoron. It is biblically impossible. Because here in this text, in John chapter 16, we read in verse 8, And He, when He comes, that is the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin, their unbelief, the righteousness of Christ, which you must have in order to go to heaven, and the judgment, God's wrath, upon the lost. Now that's what the Holy Spirit will convict men of. Sin, their need of righteousness, and the judgment of God or the wrath of God. How is the Holy Spirit going to convict men in your church if you're not preaching about their sinfulness, about their need of the righteousness of Christ, and about your dreadful state if you are lost because you are under the judgment of God. Rather, the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will bring this truth, and He will guide you into truth. That's what He says in verse 13. And so He takes the truth of God's Word to do His work as the Holy Spirit. And so not using the Word of God will never accomplish the growth of God in a biblical way. Oh, there may be plenty of growth. The parking lots may be packed and every seat may be full, but who's in those seats? Are they dead? Or are they alive? That is the issue. And that is where we are going in our study today. Whatever may be going on in those places, it ain't biblical. It's not biblical growth. People, this strikes at the very heart of what biblical evangelism is. What is Biblical evangelism. What is biblical growth? What does God use to save people from their sins? What does God use to bring people to see themselves as lost sinners in need of a Savior and then take that and save them to His glory? What does He use? Does He use the words of men? The works of men? The gimmicks of men? 
the entertainment by men? Or does he use his word, supernaturally given by the Holy Spirit, and supernaturally attended by the Holy Spirit, and applied by the Holy Spirit to the lives of the hearers of his word when it is preached? Which is it? The stories and the jokes, the games and the silliness that goes on in so many places that call themselves churches, or is it the Word of God? It isn't both. And I suggest to you today that as we continue on in our study, we will find this foundational part of God's teaching to be, it is through the preaching of His Word that the Holy Spirit uses to save men. And foundational to that Word is the truth regarding sin, wrath, and judgment. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as we continue in our series, The Beauty of Wrath. We've seen the reality of wrath that God's wrath is clearly taught in His entire Word, both in the Old Testament and the New, even by our Lord Jesus. And we are currently looking under the reason for wrath, that it glorifies God, that it glorifies Christ, and that it is what is taken by the Holy Spirit, used by the Holy Spirit, to bring men to Jesus. We saw from John 8 that He said His Word is truth, and from John 14 that the Holy Spirit would bring that word to the disciples. And what well, we just looked at at John chapter 16, that the Holy Spirit would bring that truth to the world. And we looked last Lord's Day at Romans chapter 10, 17, where it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ, that it is to be preached. It is the preaching of the word of God. And those things, just a brief review. Today we move on to see preaching is how the Holy Spirit brings this truth to the hearts of men to save them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That was Paul's mission. That was what Paul said he was to do. I point out to you again that he does not say, even as we noticed with Jesus last week, that Christ has called me to sing the gospel. That Christ has not called on me to dance the gospel in front of a church, waving flags and banners. God has called me to preach, preach the word of God, to preach the gospel. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the word that he uses here in a few moments. But let's move on from there. As he says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There the word he uses is logos. It is the word spoken. And in the King James Version, it is even translated preached. The preached. 
And so he, in the King James, it reads something such as, for the, for the preaching of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. And so you get the picture. And some of you know this by personal experience. As you talk to people you know, and you talk to people that you love, and you talk to them about Christ, you talk to them about Jesus, and they just brush it off. What a fairy tale. What a bunch of baloney. I've got family members like that. I've got family members who don't want to listen to a word I say when it comes to the gospel or of Jesus. Some of you perhaps have witnessed to your own children, to your own family members, brothers, sisters. And you tell them about the gospel and it's foolishness to them. And I've had a lot of people in churches, much bigger churches with a much higher attendance and a lot more people. And they would look at me as if I was crazy when I would preach to them about Christ and the wrath of God, judgment. It's foolishness to them. They cannot comprehend it. They're far more interested in how soon they can get out the door and get down the road to Denny's or the golf course or whatever. That's what counts. Not this gospel thing. It's foolishness. But if we move on, we see what Paul says in verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You see what he's saying? It's fool, the word of God is foolishness to some, but God uses the proclamation, the preaching of His Word, the foolishness in the eyes of the world. But to us who love truth, we want it. To us, it's the power of God. It's what we live for. It's what we wait for every week to come to church, to hear the Word of God preached. We want it. We love it. The foolishness to the world is power to us because it is life. It is the life that we have gained from Christ. It is where we learn of Christ. It is where we grow in Christ. So if you were to take, therefore, a term, perhaps, from the Scriptures that we're looking at, and ask yourself, who is attending churches where they are not preaching the gospel, where they are not preaching the Bible, where they are not preaching the word of God, who attends there? Again, to them, it is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. What do you come to church for? What is it that you want to hear when you come to a place of worship on a Sunday, the Lord's Day? You want babbling? You want jokes? You want stories? There's a lot of preachers that do that. 
Or do you want the Word of the cross? Do you want the Word of Christ? And the word that he uses here and the word that he used in verse 17 is the word karugma. Kerugma, to proclaim, to herald, to tell forth. And this is what God uses to save men. The foolishness of the message preached. Don't go any further. Just ask yourself, what does God use to save men? What does the text say? God uses the foolishness of the word preached to save men. How does he do it? It's that same word that the Holy Spirit brought back to the disciples, just as Jesus promised he would, that the disciples then take and preach to men, that the Holy Spirit then takes to use that in the saving of the lost. The foolishness in the eyes of the world, powered by God and by the Holy Spirit, pierces the hearts of men and saves them by His grace. How do I know? We read on. Look at chapter 2. Down to chapter 2, verse 6. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God, predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What wisdom is he talking about? The wisdom that he spoke about in the gospel, where it is the power of God, the wisdom contained in the word, the truth that Jesus taught and Jesus preached. The wisdom brought back to the disciples' minds by the Holy Spirit as Jesus promised in John's Gospel in chapter 8, John's Gospel in chapter 14, John's Gospel chapter 16, just as Jesus promised. He speaks wisdom, truth, bringing truth. But now, look further, chapter 2, verse 10. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. If you understand the Word of God in your heart and in your life today, it is because of the power of the Holy Spirit taking it into your being. The power of the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Notice what he says. For to us God revealed them. What is them? That truth that he spoke about back there in verses 6 and 7. Wisdom of God. Truth of God. That's who he's talking about. And God took that word by the Spirit and revealed it to you. Revealed it to us. And that word revealed is that scary word Apocalypto, which is not a scary word at all. 
That's why we call the book of Revelation the book of Revelation. The word apocalypto is to reveal. It is a revelation of Christ. And if you're saved today, that's what the Holy Spirit has done in your heart and in your life. He has revealed Christ. The wisdom of God brought back to the disciples' minds by the Holy Spirit, preached to the people by the disciples, and used by the Holy Spirit to save the lost. He gave, the Holy Spirit gave the word. That is what they preached, and that is what the Holy Spirit uses to save men. Verse 13, Which things also we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. Combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. I am reminded of what he said back in verse 17 of chapter 1. Not in cleverness of speech, but in the clarity of God's revealed word. I'm not telling you anything clever. I'm not trying to be clever. I'm just telling you what the word of God says. And that the Word of God teaches that it is by preaching that the Holy Spirit takes and saves men. Again, I know that God uses individual one-on-one lessons and one-on-one teaching and and, uh, evangelism and that sort of thing. We understand that that happens. Men get saved from the reading of books or from the reading of the Scripture. I know, but predominantly and overwhelmingly, this is what God uses. I'm going to address that again in a moment, but for now, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Holy Spirit brings the truth to the disciples, to the world, The Holy Spirit uses the truth preached to set men free. The Holy Spirit brings truth through the preaching of the Word. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preaching is our directive by the Holy Spirit. Verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom... Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Preach the word. Now there's so much here, I can't possibly open all of this up in the few minutes that I have remaining. But I want to touch on a few things that he does say. These are Paul's warnings and his instructions to Timothy, and they are unequivocal. There's no getting around them. There's no changing them. They're very clear. What he tells Timothy to do at the church, 
is to preach. To preach. And notice that with that, he speaks about being ready to reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now, I cannot help when I read that in thinking of the oxymoron that I mentioned earlier. Can you picture this preacher that I mentioned earlier doing anything like reproving, rebuking, exhorting, or having great patience or any ability to instruct. And yet, that is the largest church in America. This is what we're called to do. This is what pastors are called to do. Paul is speaking to the pastor, Timothy, and telling him that this is what he is to do. Despite the fact that today men will turn aside from truth, he does say, if you'll notice, they will not endure sound doctrine. What does that mean? They won't endure sound doctrine. I'll give you an illustration. I don't want to keep making this about me, but I will. I preach. I preach from God's Word, and I don't preach for 20 minutes. I don't preach for usually 40 minutes or even 45 minutes. Occasionally I'll stop at 50, but usually we want to hear more. And that's because you want to hear more. And that's because I want to hear more. But what happens when people come in here and they're used to a 15-minute homily? And they're used to a band? And they're used to music? And they're used to all kinds of solos with people going, can I get under this light? What happens when they're used to that? They don't come back. They will not endure sound doctrine. They are used to sermonettes. They are used to being entertained and being made to feel good. They're used to that. And they don't want this. You know, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back and say I'm the only one bringing sound doctrine. But whatever the case and however the package, they don't want it. Because they want the fluff and the frivolity. But that is what he's saying. So they will accumulate to themselves men who will give them what they want. And that's why men who don't give them what they want get kicked out. They want somebody who's going to make them happy, make them feel good, and just give us this social religion thing, which is what the average church is. It is a social phenomena where people gather to feel good and eat rather than to meet with the living God and to learn His Word. It is a social gathering, not a supernatural meeting with the living God. And I don't want that. And I hope you don't want that. I want to meet with God. I want to know what God's Word says. It's life and death. I want to know it even if it hurts. Even if I am rebuked. I want the instruction because I want to know my God. 
I want to know what He says and who He is. And so this is what Paul is telling his pastor friend. Don't worry about the ear ticklers. You be faithful and preach. Preach the Word. We're called on to rightly handle the Word of God. Rightly handle His truth. All of it. And notice the context. This is the whole series. Verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ, who is to judge. Judge! Wrath! Judgment! The living and the dead. It's too late for us to preach to the dead. They're already settled. But for the living, we preach. And we warn that the wrath of God rests upon those who do not rest in Christ. The wrath of God will be poured about out upon the lost in the last day in judgment. And they will be cast into, even as Jesus said, the lake of fire. And so we preach in the presence of God and Christ. And so there's, there's the impetus to keep going. There's the urgency and there's the, the desire that we have. It's born out of the fact that we don't do it to please men. I don't preach to make men happy. I don't preach to make you happy. I preach because I'm preaching in the sight of God and Christ. It's what men are called to do. To preach before God and Christ and tell men of their coming judgment and to flee to the Christ who gave His life on the cross, even as it says in Romans chapter 5, that while we were yet sinners, He died to save us from the wrath of God. It's what He did. And again, the judgment of God is that backdrop that shows the beauty of the salvation of Jesus Christ. That black velvet backdrop in the jeweler's case that shows the brightness of the diamond, which is the salvation of Jesus. We preach salvation in Christ with the backdrop of wrath. And that is what he told him to do, to preach God's Word, to rightly handle it, to carefully handle it, not misleading, not twisting, but rather presenting his truth. Presenting his truth. I said this last week and I say it again. You know that I don't preach God's wrath every week. <laughs> I'm not up here every, every single Sunday telling you about the wrath of God. I had a pastor who used to say, I'm not a one-note banjo. I don't like banjos a whole lot. I'm sorry, Rowan. 
But I, I'm not a one note. I don't want to be a one note preacher. Most of you know that last year we spent the entire year practically preaching on heaven. I don't always preach on the wrath of God. I tried to do as Paul instructed in Acts to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. But wrath is one aspect, a real aspect, a serious aspect. And so I'm not trying to justify how I preach with what I'm saying here. I'm telling you that I preach like I do because of what it says here. It's what I'm called to do. I want to turn to one more passage. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We have Peter speaking here, down in verse 42. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of Him all the prophets bear witness that through His name everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sin. What are you called to preach, Peter? We're called to preach to the people that one has been appointed by God as judge. The judgment of God. And that's why we have Peter in Acts chapter 2, and I won't turn back there again, but in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached, right? It's the day of Pentecost. They're filled with the Spirit. All of a sudden, these men who were cowards, literally cowards, cowering in fear of the Jews and the Romans, who didn't even understand exactly what happened with the crucifixion of Christ, that he must be raised from the dead. When even though Jesus would tell them, the Son of Man is going to Jerusalem, and he will be killed, he will be crucified, and he'll be raised on the third day, they go, what, what, what? Didn't understand it, didn't get it. Now, Holy Spirit is poured out brings back to him, just as Jesus said he would, what Jesus taught and what it meant. And Peter preaches from the Scriptures that God is judged and you are going to go to hell unless you repent. And what happens? Holy Spirit takes that and saves thousands. Thousands. And the church era begins. And down through this day, it has been the proclamation of the truth of the Word of God that the Holy Spirit has used to save multitudes. He takes truth to convict men of sin and unrighteousness and wrath, just what Jesus said He would. Now, do you understand why I began this message by saying it is an oxymoron for churches who refuse to preach the Word of God in direct contradiction, abandonment, and disobedience to what the Word of God says, to disobey it and then still say, God is blessing our church. God is growing our church. 
God is causing increase in our church. That is an oxymoron. For if you disobey what God says, the Holy Spirit is not blessing what you're doing. Another spirit is, but not the Holy Spirit. If you do not preach God's Word and refuse to mention His judgment or His wrath, and yet claim to be blessed by God, I suggest to you on the authority of the Word of God that that is impossible. Because they, what they do is not what the Holy Spirit uses to save men. People, faith does not come from the hearing of stories. Faith does not come from jokes and dramas and musicals and special singing or even the choir. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. Now I know some people might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can't God use anything He wants? I mean, can't God use these other things? And you, I get that a lot. And, and I don't mean to be disrespectful. People say, can't God use anything? Can't He use these other things? So they're sincere. You know, they're really sincere in what they're doing. Can't He use these? This is an old theological question. The theological question goes something like this. Is there anything that God can't do? Is anything impossible to God? Is there anything God can't do? And well-meaning and sincere people say, Oh no, there's nothing that God can't do. God can do anything. God can do anything. Everything. The problem with that answer is it is simply not biblical. Because God cannot lie. God cannot deny himself. God cannot and will not give his glory to another. And God will not contradict his word. And His Word says, Preach the truth. And that's what the Holy Spirit uses. I mentioned, yes, personal evangelism, reading, God can use those things. But the Word of God says, Preach the Word. Proclaim it. Herald it. Including judgment and wrath right here in Acts chapter 10. That God has appointed one who is to judge. And you need to flee the wrath to come into the sweet arms of a Savior. We call Him our Savior. What does He save us from? The wrath of God. So even as you call Him your Savior... You're declaring the truth of judgment and wrath. He saves us from the wrath of God. The bottom line then, it does not really matter what 
men say. Men think they can do it better. I got a great idea. Why don't we do this, 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 and this, and we'll get people saved? Why don't we bring the world into the church? Then more people will come. It doesn't matter what men say. It matters what God says. And God says in His Word to preach. Churches with this dancing and laughing and entertaining need to repent because they ought to be preaching. Because that's what the Holy Spirit uses. I'm going to get to the real heart of the problem right now. The reason that men don't want it, the reason that men prefer entertainment and ear-tickling, the reason that so many so-called churches are doing that is because today people have lost sight of the seriousness of the state in which they live. The seriousness of the wrath and the judgment of God because it hasn't been preached for so long people have all but forgotten about it. And they go to church without ever giving a thought of His judgment or His wrath. Church is just social. Church is just fun. Church is just feel good. They've lost the magnitude of the seriousness of the wrath of God. Two roads, Jesus says. The narrow road, and few are on it that lead to glory. But the broad road, man, that's got all that stuff. That's got all those preachers with their stories and their jokes. All those preachers who refuse to preach on the wrath of God or the judgment against sin. All of those broad road fit anybody. They've lost sight of the seriousness of sin. We're not calling on men to turn over a new leaf, to be a better person, or to, as Mr. Osteen says, go beyond your barriers and live an extraordinary life, whatever that means. We're not calling on men to be better We're not calling on men to dig deep down inside and be your best for God. We're calling on men to be saved from the wrath of God. And that's serious. Eternal judgment in hell. That's serious. And a turning over a new leaf isn't going to change that for anyone. Turning over a new leaf doesn't get you off the broad road and onto the narrow road. It keeps you on the broad road, but you just look better than some. We're calling on men to repent and flee the wrath of God to come. You see, the joy that we have in Christ is not temporary joy that we feel on a Sunday morning after hearing a concert, loud rock music giving us a headache, or other things like that in so-called churches or congregations. They come out of there and go, wow, wasn't that great? Wasn't that wonderful? 
Wasn't that special? They're still on the broad road. They're still on the broad road. Our, our joy is not temporary. And it doesn't come from entertainment or a joke. Our joy comes in knowing that we have been saved by grace. Saved by the grace of God through the finished work of Jesus. And He has saved us from the wrath of God. And that will give you joy every day, all day, even when things don't go right as you think they should be. It's not momentary. Our joy is eternal. It's supernatural. And so the question then is, do you know that truth that sets you free from that broad road? Do you know that truth that sets you free from seeking momentary pleasures? even religious ones? Do you know that truth? Have you seen yourself as a dead, lost, helpless sinner against the holy God and cried out for mercy? And He has shown you the beauty of His Son and saved you by His grace. And then you have come to the place where you know and love His Son, Jesus, the One who saved you. You love Him for what He did on the cross. You loved Him for what He did for you. You know Him and you love Him. Because here's the problem. If you don't know the truth that sets you free, that truth containing what Christ did, who Christ is, and what He did for you, you will not hear loving Jesus say, Welcome. You will hear Jesus say, as we saw from the Gospel of Matthew, those most dreaded words in all of the Bible, Depart from me, you cursed. For I never knew you. Do you know Jesus? I don't care how many leaves you turn over, how happy you may look one day or not another. I care if you love Jesus and know Him for sure, for certain. For only then, only then, will you be saved from the wrath of God? And people, that comes from the Bible. Preaching the Bible applied by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The reason for wrath, the reason for wrath is that it glorifies God. It glorifies the work of Christ. And it is used by the Holy Spirit to show men their sin, their danger, and to draw them to Christ who will save them from that wrath. Do you know Jesus? Let's pray.